Okay, just make sure we're recording. You will know um, our morning contents on our podcast when the preacher can remember to press record. Otherwise, it's not. Um, and then our evening contents up on YouTube. You guys would be aware of that. I want to invite the Lord Jesus to be part of this space. Lord, just um, as we open your word, we just ask you to do work in our hearts, to make us more like you would like us to be, for your glory, because we love you. Amen. I hope by the end of today I have instilled in you um, a deeper realisation, a deeper motivation for you to stick to your good King Jesus, to submit to him, to follow him more wholeheartedly as we engage in the great um, adventure, which is um, having him as our king. I just want to go to... Oh, jeez, I've left something. Have I got the clicker down there? Thank you. I feel good. All right, let's roll. Let's read those first three verses again. And we're going to drill in on a particular concept um, this week. Uh, And a couple of people... Um, we're here in the first service, so when I ask some questions, they're not allowed to answer. Okay, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now we know John the Baptist is tasked with preparing the way for the Messiah. His cousin, actually, in, in real life, Jesus. And he has this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, we are not Jews. Well, there might be a Jew in our midst. No, but I am not a Jew. And um, actually, this statement for a non-Jew is not, it, like, it's not a natural statement that draws on a lot of things in our, in our cultural history, in our religious, sort of, in the, in the symbols of our culture. So it's really, a really cool task is to drill down what did a Jew in that day and age hear when they heard someone say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, we've, we've heard preaching on the word repent before. We know that it means more than to be sorry. It more literally translates to change your mind. But obviously, it's got that idea of returning to God. And so, um, you know, whatever this is, John is saying you need to urgently change your life because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we should dive into this. I mean, in the next chapter, Jesus, in his first sermon to a group of people, in his opening, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What is going on here? What do we need to understand? If you want to understand this stuff a little deeper, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he's got a podcast exploring my strange Bible. He's got some good sermons on this. Um, Look, This is something that we really should wrestle with because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in the other gospels is what they, this is a massive underlying theme. It shouldn't be something that we go, oh, I don't fully understand that. We need to explore this. So let's try and grasp what a Jewish listener might have heard when they heard this term. So a king, a kingdom has a king or a sovereign, right? Someone who reigns. What is the first reference to ruling or reigning in scripture? Who's going to go? Look, John Buckle didn't know the answer. So, like, it's okay. Just, just feel free to have a go, you know. 
Genesis 1. Who said, brilliant, it's in the first chapter. Thank you. There we go. So then God said, this is the first reference to ruling or reigning in the Bible. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We were invited from the start to be in this awesome privileged partnership where we actually rule God's world under God. You know, so, so it wasn't a case of, okay, here's my world and I'll just rule it all for you. No, no, no. You, I'm putting you on this earth to rule, to, to steward, to watch over this world and you will rule. You know, that's, that's so, so your core purpose as a human being in creation is part of this, to rule over this world. But we are made in the image of God. You are not to rule just however you want. You are, you are made in the image of God. We are meant to be faithful images of God in how we rule, right? So we're meant to image his justice, his grace, his goodness, his mercy into the world as we rule it. So we were made in the image of God to rule over his world. What trust? God, we were, we're in this wonderful partnership with God to steward his world on his behalf. But in this arrangement, who defines good and evil? God. We don't define good and evil. That's the thing. It's under him, right? So we're made in his image. So God defines good and evil. God defines what is straight and crooked. God defines what is up and down. We see in Genesis the refrain, God saw and it was good. God saw and it was good. He judges what is good. And so we see that refrain. But then in Genesis, that's meant to be a three before the six. Just pretend. Genesis chapter three, verse six. We see. So imagine, so imagine the text. Like, so it says, God saw and it was good. God saw and it was good. In this verse, someone new is this seeing and deciding what is good. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who, who was with her and he ate it. Who is now seeing and deciding what is good? It's not God. A human is doing it. And when this happened, right, and so this is just trying to, trying to grasp Jewish thought. When this happened, an alternate kingdom was born. Because now someone else is behaving like they are the king. And so now you have two kingdoms, a clash of kingdoms. It was the start of what you might hear the Apostle Paul call this age of sin and death. Humans are now behaving like they are the king. And the results of a world, friends, where everyone is their own king, is not good. That's when Cain kills Abel. And so on. And now here we are today. And you can point to plenty of other examples. A world where we're all our own king, where we judge, where we condemn each other, where we compete with each other. It does indeed equal death. It equals ultimate separation from God. But it equals death as the natural result, because that is the natural result of a world where everyone is their own king. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you see and decide good and evil for yourselves, you will die. So what's God's response starting to this, to this kingdom, this alternate kingdom starting? I'll just adjust this. God starts again. He sets apart a people, the Israelites. 
He gives them his law. He dwells with them in a special way. The Bible project has it this way. Jerusalem was Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world and bring peace and blessing to everyone, a light unto the nations. And Israel failed miserably at being the people of God. They have a plethora of flawed leaders. They are defeated and exiled amidst constantly constant disobedience and returning and disobedience. And so what happened in the Jewish writings in the prophets this expectation was building that one day god would install his king and restore his kingdom with his king and that king was going to come from the line of david and he would be the messiah it was this grand prophetic picture that the jews believed god was going to take his world back restore his kingdom and be done with the alternate kingdom that humans dared to create when they put the crown on their own head. So that's like a, a very whirlwind picture of what might come to mind when you have this prophet saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you believed what he was saying, you would do what the people are doing. You would confess your sins and you would be baptized by him in the river Jordan because God is taking his world back. It is a good time to be found faithful to God. It is a, you know, if you really believe what he was saying, this is high gravity stuff. God is taking his world back. I don't want to be found in a state of rebellion. I'm going, you know, and it says people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river. Anyone taking John's message seriously would have done that. We won't reread it on the PowerPoint, but then it goes into this, this instant where he challenges the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were present. We know that Jesus will go on to challenge these people. Um, you know, and the message is quite obvious that you should not presume in this kingdom that your traditions and your law keeping mean you are in line with this kingdom. You should not presume that. There's going to be a great sorting. There's going to be a great sorting, and that's emphasized in the next two verses. And now I have... When I was younger, I did not know what a winnowing fork was. I have not used one in my day-to-day -day life. Um, but I'm, I'm aware, has anyone ever used a winnowing fork? No, never found a need. Yeah, it's kind of a bit. So, um, but you know, I, I get the idea that it's, it's a fork that throws the grain in the air and then the husks blow away and the good stuff falls back down. So it's a way of sorting. It's another sorting image that would have been familiar to the people back then. But it says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. R.T. France talks about, you know, in his commentary that the prophets looked forward to this great outpouring of the Spirit of God. And there was this reference to this prophetic hope of purification by fire, not literal fire, but kind of the idea that God was going to come and refine and, and, res and restore what was his and what wasn't his was going to pass away. There was going to be a great sorting. There was going to be judgment. And so imagine you're there, a Jew... Hearing this, okay, this is all happening. Is it? It's about to happen. God's taking his world back. The Messiah is coming. God's kingdom is going to be established. It's going to be a great sorting. For the Jew, there is so much gravity in what John is saying. It's huge. It's massive news. And then Jesus shows up. 
So you can kind of see how the passage builds, and then and then there he is, and then Jesus appears. Uh, whoa, this is the guy. And so let's read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John recognises Jesus. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he needs his baptism. Jesus, we have this incident of Jesus submitting to John's baptism. I'm not going to delve so much into why. For the sake of what we're talking about here, we just want to see that God is confirming this is the guy. This big announcement, the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's him. It's here. This is my son whom I love. In him I was well pleased. This is the judge that was talked about. This is the king that was talked about. This is the Messiah who will establish my kingdom. Here is the one on who our faith hinges on. He is the one, friends, that you would know, that we would say that if you repent and believe in him, you have eternal life and eternal forgiveness. He is the one who we would say, if you come to him and yoke yourself to him, you have eternal rest for your soul. He is the one who we would say, if you remain in him, your life will be truly fruitful. He was the one who we would say, if you place your hope in him, you will have eternal strength. And God's strength running through you. He's the one who we would say, if you hear and obey his words, your life will be like a house built on a rock that the storms won't be able to take down. And because he is here and because he has come, you and I must change everything. We must change everything. We must live completely differently because he has come. But what we need to be careful is that He has come to establish his kingdom with his values in his way. To submit to this king is to submit to his kingdom, his kingdom on his terms. See, the words, the works and the ways of Jesus, if if he is our king, they should be reflected in who we are. We can't say we follow a king who saw the unseen people of society and be a people group who doesn't do the same. We can't say he's our king, the one who ate with sinners, who, if our whole instinct as Christians is to say we fear people who are different with us and we avoid them and we stick to ourselves, how dare we call the one our king who healed the sick if we stay in our comfortable little thing and avoid everyone who's sick and hurting, you know? How can we say we serve the king who laid his life down if we are selfish and self-seeking? in the way we do things as people. As we read about Jesus, friends, we are called to be in his kingdom on his terms, in his way. If we are Christians, people should see Christ in us. We are called to a kingdom with different values to the kingdom that is passing away. We are being called back, friends, to being faithful images of God. Imagine, if you will, I hope this doesn't exist, imagine there was a Steve Irwin cult. That worship Steve Owen. Love Steve Owen. I love Steve Owen, by the way, when he was alive. What a, it made me so happy as a kid. I just loved watching him with animals. But imagine there was like people who loved him a bit too much, and, and, and then he died, and now they're, they're worshipping. There's the cult of Steve Owen. And imagine you visited one of the meetings of this cult, 
And in this cult, you met a whole bunch of people who didn't care about animals. You would be like, how, how is this the cult of Steve Irwin? This doesn't make sense at all. His whole life was animals, right? You get the point. We bear someone's name. If our community does not reflect his values, what on earth are we doing? We better. You know, there was a high-profile pastor in America. He was claiming Christ, amazing preacher, maybe, maybe one of the most gifted preachers I've ever heard. Just incredible influence. His church grew rapid fire. Lots of, in what we would see as productive results of his ministry, um, but he was exposed that in the background, he was operating with the values of another kingdom. He was domineering, he was attacking competition, he was squashing dissent, he was abandoning the weak people who couldn't keep up with him. He had a body count like you wouldn't believe behind his ministry. The ends do not justify the means. If Jesus built his kingdom by domineering and forcing people to bow to him, his whole message was destroyed. His kingdom on his terms. See, he wants to lead you and I back to what it truly looks like to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. He is calling us to be who we were created to be. And we can trust him, can't we? Because as hard as that is to live for this new kingdom and to abandon the values of the kingdom around us, the self-seeking values, the materialism, the me-first idea of life, that we are abandoning that, but we can trust him in the difficulty of that process because he's not just any king. This king laid his life down for us. So he's a wonderful king to submit to. He's a wonderful kingdom to be part of. Because unlike the kingdoms of this world, which time and time and again, whoever the guy is at the top, proves that he doesn't have the interests of those underneath him or her, as it may be. In this kingdom, the king laid his life down for us. See, the tragedy is that there are times I ignore him. The tragedy is there are days I don't turn to him. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is that this king who has pursued me in his love and invited me to be part of his kingdom, you would think I would lap up that invitation every day. So friends, repent, for the good and gracious king has come. And his kingdom is the one that will last forever. And the charge to us today is let us not foolishly give our life to the kingdom that is passing away. Let's follow the true king and let's follow the good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you so much that you are our king. That you are the Messiah, that you are the one who is establishing God's reign on earth. What a good thing that is. That we have such a self-sacrificial, loving king to submit to. Help us trust you wholeheartedly. Help us fully buy in to the kingdom you are building. To the kingdom you invite us to be a part of. And help us, you know, just reflect the values of that kingdom. 
Help us be Christ-like in how we represent you in this world and help us understand that we are to be like you. We are not to represent you in some weird quasi-mix with the values of the kingdom that is passing away, but we are meant to be like you. Help us know how to do that. And thank you that our foundation is one of grace. Thank you that our foundation is a king who pursued us, who loved first, who, for, who offered his forgiveness first, who died for us while we were still sinners, Lord. And so it's not with guilt that, we're, that we, we feel any conviction, but it's just with a desire to love the king who loved us and to follow him faithfully. Help us be people that can be said, it's just true of us, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbour as ourselves. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.